For the last couple weeks, we have been working through a series in the book of Hebrews. It's a rich book that is addressed to a community uh, that shares many similarities to, to our community gathered here. It was a group of Christians in a major urban center, and they were facing a lot of pressure from the outside culture for their distinctive Christian faith. The Greco-Roman culture in which they lived didn't want anything to do with their faith. And in fact, because of governmental changes that were taking place in Rome at the time, these, these Christians were facing more and more hostility. And because of that pressure, they were being tempted to give up on their faith. They were being tempted to withdraw from Christ and to withdraw from their neighbors. And so this letter, which is really a sermon, was written to address these Christians, to encourage them in the context of trials and sufferings and fears, to let them know that faith will be rewarded. Faith inherits the promises. Cling to Jesus because Jesus is better. Better than what? Pick something. That's essentially what happens through the entire book of Hebrews. And so last week, we were in the passage immediately preceding this one today. And what we saw was that the writer of this letter was encouraging the congregation to press on in maturity. They had heard a lot. They had experienced a lot. They had heard so many sermons. They knew gospel music inside out. I mean, they, they were really exposed to the Christian faith. But their ethics were not in line with what they knew. They weren't living it out. And the, and the real detriment was that because they were immature, their mission was failing. They were failing to love their neighbors. They were failing to extend the hope and peace of the gospel to the people around them. So the main idea was press on in maturity so that you will live faithfully in God's mission. But this is a group of fearful people. They're, they're going through a lot. They're going through a lot. And they're tempted at the most important point. They're tempted to give up on the promises of God, to, to disbelieve the promises of God. It's at this point of attack that they are facing struggle. And you, you could say that the entire shape of a person's life is governed by the promises that they believe, the promises under which they live. You may not realize it, but every day you are bombarded with promises. Every day you are hit with promises from every angle. You turn on the television and the commercials come on. And there are promises made to you that, that, that you can actually consume your way into happiness. That's a promise that's extended to you. You are given a promise by places of higher education that through education you can be successful and success will make you whole. It's a promise that is extended to you. We are told that with enough hard work and determination, you can solve all of your personal problems, which is why self-help is such a, a bustling uh, sector of, of the book sales these days when you get on Amazon or go to a bookstore. Self-help, that's the promise that's extended to us. But all of these promises result in a treadmill spirituality. You know what a treadmill is, right? You get on the treadmill and you work hard. You break a sweat on the treadmill. 
You are really laying it out there. You, but the reality is that you are going through all of this motion, all of this work, all of this sweat, and you are making no progress. That's what these promises lead to. A life that is filled with all kinds of frantic activities that result in zero spiritual progress. Ever since Genesis 3, we have been tempted to believe other promises and to disbelieve the promises of God. So this morning, we are going to dig into this portion of Scripture that is really about our hope, our anchor for our souls. And what we're going to see is we're going to see God's promises and we're going to see God's priest. That's what this long section of Scripture is about. We try to read this in units. We're trying to cover this, this dense book in a shorter time frame so that you can get the big picture of what's going on here. But this text is all about God's promises and God's priest. And what we're going to see is that God's promises come to us through God's priest. God's promises are verified through God's priest. God's promises are sure and certain for us because of God's priest. So let's look at our first point as we consider God's promises. The next movement of the pastoral care that is given to this group of people here combats their struggle with God's promises. And what the author does here is pulls an example of someone who received God's promises, who struggled through, and who obtained the promise of God. And no one better was, was useful for an illustration than Abraham. Abraham known as the father of faith. And even if you're unexposed to the Bible or you're new to the Bible, you may have heard about Abraham. God finds Abraham when Abraham is wandering in some foreign pagan culture that does not know God. And God comes and makes promises to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a homeland. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And I am going to bless you. Abraham's like, that sounds pretty good. Sign me up. He goes on a journey, though. But what, but what happens throughout the rest of the story of Abraham is that Abraham has the promises of God, but the promise of God is continually threatened. He lives in this context where he has God's promise, he has God's word, but everything in his life seems to threaten the promise. He's given the promise that he will be the father of many nations, Father Abraham, Mother Sarah, they're going to have many children. But guess what? Years and years go by, no children. And he's starting to struggle, but God reaffirms the promise and says, press on. I am your great reward. I will follow through on my promise. It's this cycle where he has God's promise. The promise is threatened. But what we see in the life of Abraham is faith and patience, faith and patience. He doesn't see it right this minute, but he trusts the word of God is true, and he's patient. Even when his faith seems small, his faith is still there, faith and patience. And then there's inheritance. Look, promise of a child, threat to the promise, faith and patience, promise fulfilled. Isaac is born, but... This is only part of the fulfillment of God's promise because he was promised that he would be the father of a great nation. 
So again, he's holding on to the promise. The promise is threatened. The ultimate threat when he is called by God to take his son Isaac to sacrifice him. This is the ultimate threat to the promise, but faith and patience. Even to the point where his son is on the altar and then he hears the voice of God. Abraham, Abraham, do not harm the boy. And then he sees the substitute in the bushes. And he knows that God's promise is certain. Do you see the encouragement that is coming to us? We are just like Abraham. We have the promises of God. But those promises continually seem to be under threat. But just like Abraham got the promise from God, after his faith and perseverance, God says, I'm going to make an oath. I'm swearing by myself. And to make an oath in those days, in that culture, was to say it's as good as done. It's a done deal. The oath has been made. From that point on, when an oath was made, no one worried about it being accomplished. And God says, I've made my oath to Abraham. But God's oath to us is even more sure. This is what the passage is saying. God made the promise to Abraham and gave Abraham assurance that the promise would be fulfilled. And through faith and perseverance, patience, he inherited the promise. And so must we. We must trust the promises of God. And even when they're under threat, we must press on and we will inherit. Look, God promises us, I will be with you. Do you know that's a promise? God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. We get this promise from God. But here's the deal. Felt loneliness of frustrated longings seem to threaten his promise. But here's the deal. We have a more certain hope than even Abraham did. Do you see that's what's happening in verse 17? Look at this. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. We have a greater guarantee, and that guarantee is the gospel, the person and work of Christ. When the promise is threatened, when God says, I will be with you, and that promise is threatened, what we do is we go back to the cross and we see on Good Friday that if God was with us on that darkest of days, he will be with us in all of the other dark days of our lives. That's the guarantee of his promise. God promises, I will meet your needs. Does he not? God says, I will meet your needs. But here's the deal. The felt emptiness of unexpected expenses and losses seem to threaten his promise. How many of you know what it's like to have an unexpected bill come in? The taxes come back not in your favor. The car breaks down. The kids need braces. You got bills coming. Things come in and threaten the promise. But what we see is this. If God at the cross met your greatest need for redemption, for freedom from sin and guilt and fear, if he met your needs on that greatest day, then surely he will meet your lesser needs for daily bread right now. The gospel is the assurance of God that his promises are true. God makes a promise. I will work all things in your life for your good. But here's the deal. The felt badness of suffering and disappointment seem to threaten his promise. Do they not? The diagnosis from the doctor doesn't come back the way you hoped. The excitement that you had for a child dissipates in loss. 
The sufferings are so bad and it seems so impossible for God to bring good out of this. But if we go back to the cross, we see that if God can bring good out of his son crucified, if he can make the ultimate good come out of the ultimate evil, surely he can take the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life and turn it into your good. He is able to do this. God promises I will put your enemies under your feet. Yet, the felt vulnerability of social ridicule and marginalization seem to threaten his promise. But here's the deal. If you go back to the empty tomb, you have assurance that God, if he put sin, death, and the devil under our feet, if he defeated our greatest enemies, surely he will be able to deal with the adversary in the here and now. And you know what one of God's favorite ways of dealing with our adversaries is? Making them into our friends. Making them into family through faith. That's why he says to bless those who persecute you. To seek the good and the welfare of those who oppose you. This is the gospel ethic. God's promises are true. And if he did it in Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus, he will do it for you. God's oath His certainty in the promise comes in the gospel. We inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. Do you see what's going on? He uses Abraham as an example to encourage us to be imitators. That's the last line of last week's section of scripture. Be imitators of those who inherit the promises by faith and patience. This is the reality. We see here that God's promises have been made all the more convincing through God's priest. And that brings us to our second point, God's priest. God's promise, as we said, is verified through God's priest, Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. I recognize that in our cultural moment, in our cultural context, it's very difficult to appreciate priesthood. I mean, it's hard Unless you came up in a Catholic tradition, it's hard for us to appreciate priesthood. But I got a very timely illustration yesterday when I attended uh, the global prayer gathering for International Justice Mission with uh, some of our our members who, who work for IJM with Lisa and Sharon and uh, Liz West. It, it was It was a get-together. If you don't know what IJM is, International Justice Mission, it's a global organization that works to end violence against the oppressed and the marginalized around the world. IJM is an organization that deploys attorneys. They deploy social workers. They, They deploy investigators and all kinds of professionals. They get into the local context somewhere around the globe. They get into the legal system and they figure out ways to set people free from modern day slavery. And as I was thinking about it yesterday and I was I was just looking at everything that was going on, hearing all of these stories, I started to see something. It begins. The work of IJM begins with a group of people who care. They care. And then the next step from that is is they seek. 
Time and time again, we heard local uh, office directors, local branch directors of IJM in different parts of the globe saying, we are seeking those who are enslaved. We're looking for them. We are actively pursuing them. They care. Then they seek. And then after that is extraordinary sacrifice. They put their own lives in danger in many cases in, in a foreign context in order to see people set free. They become advocates in the government for those who are enslaved. And after they see these people set free through their advocacy, then what they do is they begin the work of restoration. They restore these folks through the social work and they try to set them on the path for the good life. This is the work that IJM is about. We heard incredible stories and, and I wanna share one and it came from Ghana. Ghana has the largest man-made lake in the world. But on that lake, there is a bustling industry of forced labor of young boys. On this massive lake, these boys are put to work. They are put in very dangerous situations in order to make money for people who don't care about them. But as we heard the story of IJM's work there, they started telling about how they got into that local system. And they saw these boys set free, and they even did a Skype with two of the boys that were set free. They, they were advocates. They cared about the little boys on the lake. And then they sought out the little boys on the lake. And then they advocated for them at great risk to themselves in the local government. They saw them set free. They rehabilitated them. And now these boys are headed on a path toward the good life. My friends, this is what the priesthood of Jesus looks like. If you don't understand what a priest is, you can understand what an advocate is. These boys had no one to stand in the gap for them. They had no one to care for them, no one to fight on their behalf, no one to advocate for them. They had no recourse, no hope, no mercy. But then someone stepped in, in their place, in order to fight for them. This is what it means for Jesus to be our great high priest. It started with his care for us. And then when we weren't looking for him, he went looking for us. He found us. He advocated for us before the legal court of God's law. He set us free through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He sets us free, and then he begins the work of rehabilitating us, restoring us, making us new, setting us on a path toward the good life. That's the good news, and that's why he pulls out this illustration for his listeners, this Melchizedek figure. Don't let Melchizedek confuse you. Here's the main point. Melchizedek is a symbol, but what Melchizedek is symbolically, Jesus is actually. That's the big picture of Melchizedek. He gets down into the weeds about Melchizedek. They would have understood everything going on. But what he does is he looks at Melchizedek from a literary perspective. And he just looks at it, right? Like He's not looking at it from a scientific vantage point that Melchizedek didn't have a mom and dad. Melchizedek didn't, never died. That's not what he's doing. He says, literarily, if you drop into the book of Genesis and you read chapter 14, Melchizedek comes on the scene. No mention of a genealogy, no mention of a birth. It's as if he always was. Symbol. He had no beginning. And then he leaves the scene without any mention of dying. 
It's as if he goes on forever. No death, eternal. You notice that Melchizedek is leveraged to talk about how he is greater than Abraham. Abraham was esteemed above so many people. No one was greater than Abraham. He and Moses occupied the highest place. But to say that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham because Abraham paid tithes to him and through Abraham tithing to him, so did the Levitical priesthood tithe to Melchizedek. It's making mention of the fact that the priesthood of Levi was not as great as the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's leaving us wondering about a greater priesthood. And we don't hear anything about Melchizedek all through Scripture until we get to Psalm 110. And David says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get mention of this priesthood of Melchizedek again. And it leaves us wondering about a better priesthood that's going to be better than the Levitical priesthood. There is a better priest who's going to make better sacrifices, who's going to enact a better covenant, who's going to bring better hope, who's going to bring greater freedom. A greater priest is coming. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, he's here. Jesus is the Melchizedekian priest. He is the priest who is in reality what Melchizedek only was in symbol. And so he begins to explore the priesthood of Jesus who introduces a better hope. Why is it a better hope that Jesus introduced? Because he introduces the hope of being perfect apart from the performance of the law. How many of you are tired of trying to perform up to the standards of other people? I am too. I'm tired of trying to manage my image in the eyes of other people. But you know what? Jesus offers a better hope because you don't have to try and manage your image with God. You appear beloved in the eyes of God the Father because of the perfect life of God the Son. That's good news. He offers a better covenant, a better promise, a better covenant. You know why? Because this is a covenant, typically think of a covenant like a contract. This side says, I'm going to do this. This side says, I'm going to do this. And there are threats. If you don't do this, I'm going to get you. And if you don't do this, I'm going to get you. There is this, 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 there's the responsibility of both parties to uphold the deal in order to keep the covenant. Well, obviously in the covenant with God, humanity failed. That's the bad news. The good news is there's a new covenant. There's a better covenant because God upholds the covenant from both sides. That's the reason why Jesus became a human being so that he could live out covenant faithfulness on our behalf and bequeath it to us by grace, by faith alone and Christ alone. That's our hope. That's why it's a better covenant. Jesus institutes a better priesthood. Why? Verse 25. Here's why it's a better priesthood. Because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Somebody say, to the uttermost. <laughs> Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He doesn't meet you halfway. Because if, if your salvation depended on you meeting God halfway, you would be lost. You wouldn't make it. And neither would I. He doesn't meet you halfway. He comes all the way. He doesn't give you a, a, a life raft when you're, when you're flailing about in the water. You, you did not have life in you to tread the water. You were at the bottom of the lake with water in your lungs, dead. Jesus dives in. He comes down. He lifts you back up, breathes into you the breath of life and says, live. That's resurrection power. It's hope. 
in Jesus. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about getting a tune-up. It's not about a fix-me-up. It's not about self-help. It's about divine help. It comes from the outside. And that is true freedom. That's a better promise. That is a better priesthood. He is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save from sin. He's able to save from fear. He's able to save from death. He's able to save you from your guilt. He's able to save you from the accusations that you hear in your ears all the time that tell you you're not good enough. You're not good enough. How could you? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this? Why didn't you do this? How could you just sit there? What are you doing taking a break? The accusation, the accusation, the, the accuser constantly libeling you, slandering you, and often speaking the truth of you. But here's the good news. Even if everything he says about us is true, there is a stronger voice that comes from the right hand of God the Father in which the priest, our great high priest, Jesus says over every accusation, beloved, mine, Dearly cared for, never forsaken. Do you see? This is the beauty of the priesthood. That's why it's good news that he always lives to make intercession for us. He, even at this very moment, is interceding for us, advocating for us, pleading the merits of all he has done. The good news of the passage is that there is more good in your great high priest than there is badness in you. And that's why we look to Jesus. That's why he's encouraging them to look to Jesus. There is your hope. Your hope is in the gospel. And in the great high priest, the promises of God are certain. But you must draw near to God. Do you see that in the text? He's able to save to the uttermost. Who is he able to save to the uttermost? Those who draw near to God through him, Christ. This is the hinge, faith. That's why we keep saying it. You may have small faith, but look at, look at the object of small faith, a great high priest. <laughs> you may be struggling right now. Doubts may plague you. Look, the Christian is not the person who has removed all doubt. The, 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 the Christian is the one who says, I'm helpless and I'm broken, and I'm looking to Jesus, and I, I know that when my grip is loosening, his grip on me is secure. That's why it's about grace. <laughs> That's why it's about his mercy. Everyone, friends, needs a priest. Every one of us. We all acknowledge in countless ways and on countless occasions that we need an advocate. We need someone to go in between. And Jesus offers to be the great high priest that we have always needed in this text. As I close, let me say this. When you know Jesus to be your great high priest, when you know that he has done everything necessary to create a union between you and God, when you know that he has done everything to bring you into the place where his love is strongest, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intertrinitarian love, you're caught up in that love of God the Father's love for God the Son and God the Son's love for God the Spirit. You are caught up, you're, you're caught up into the crossfire of divine love. When you know that's where you've been situated by God's high priest, 
then guess what that makes of you? It makes you a priestly kind of presence wherever God puts you. You know that? It makes you an advocate. It makes you someone who seeks for those who are in need. It makes you someone who cares. It makes you someone willing to sacrifice for the benefit of those who are vulnerable and exposed, the poor, the broken, the suffering, the mourner. It causes you to be someone who advocates, someone who seeks the restoration of the broken. It makes you into someone who leads others into the good life of security in Christ, freedom in Christ, renewal in Christ. That's what it makes of us. And that's what we're longing to be, Grace Mosaic, a priestly presence wherever God puts us, advocating, extending ourselves in the place where there's a gap between well-being and human beings. You see that? This is where God wants his priestly people to be. Not in a condescending way, not in a paternalistic way, but in a way that shows that this is the very heart of how we've been rescued. This is the very fabric of our lives. We have been brought near, and we are secure in him. So we must press on in faith, patiently, so that we will inherit the promises of God, so that we will demonstrate in our lives faith, hope, and love to our surrounding neighbors and even around to the world. Amen? Let's pray as an application. One of the great works of a priest is prayer, interceding. Let's pray for our congregation. Let's pray for our neighbors, sermon application. Maybe there's a neighbor here, not far from here, walking distance maybe even, who needs you to pray for them consistently. Maybe there's someone on your heart at work that you need to carry, like the paralytics paralytics friends carried him to Jesus. Maybe that's the work that you need to be about in your priesting. Maybe you need to pray for, for some friends in here who are struggling. The priestly work of prayer. I love that old quote. Prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Surely we can do that. So let's, let's ask God to bless us to be this kind of community. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the great high priesthood of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that as this text touches our hearts, as it refashions us, that we would find ourselves engaging as your priestly community, as your kingdom of priests, advocating for our neighbors, lifting our neighbors up in prayer, caring for them, seeking their benefit even at our own expense, seeking their well-being even when it costs us some of our time or some of our money or some of our, our effort. Let us be the kind of community that serves as a picture of your priesthood on our behalf. And we pray that others would see your kindness and your goodness and the certainty of your promises as we live under your promises as a secure people. We ask for your blessing on our church, and we ask for your blessing on Church of the Redeemer, that they too would be encouraged in their work 
as they have worked for so many years to establish a faithful presence here in Northeast DC, we pray that you would encourage them, help them to keep pressing on, help them to love one another. And we pray that as we live here together, that we would do so in love and in mutual respect and care for each other. We pray for your blessing in Jesus' name, amen.